Shall we pray? Shall we prepare our hearts and our minds to receive what the Lord is putting across to us? And let's be receptive to what God is telling us. Father God, we just want to thank and praise you, Father, and we pray, Lord, that even as we sit and stand here, Lord, Father, we pray, Lord, that we truly will be receptive to your word. Father God, we pray, Lord, that you will give us words that will encourage us, Lord, Father, and you will build us up and we commit ourselves into your hands, Lord. We pray, Lord, that even as we listen, we will not just be hearers of your word, Lord, but we will internalize what you tell us. And we will activate it into our lives, Lord Father. Give us your grace that we may do so, Lord. We give all praise, honor, and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we get into the message, I'm going to go back a little bit to the anniversaries and the birthdays. Um, There's been a request, and so I'm going to take it up. All those who are celebrating birthdays and anniversaries. Can you please stand? All those celebrating birthdays and anniversaries. We'd like you to stand, please, for a minute. Okay, we're going to pray for you. And my request to the rest of the congregation is, remember these brethren. Remember the brothers who are celebrating birthdays. Remember the couples who are celebrating anniversaries. Okay? So let's pray for every person who's standing up right now, celebrating either anniversaries or birthdays. Father God, we thank you, Father, for these brothers and sisters, Lord Father. Father God, you have done mighty things in their life, Lord Father. You have been their Lord, you have been their Savior, you have been their provider, their protector, their preserver, their everything, Lord Father. And Father God, we thank you for that, Lord Father. We thank you, Father, for being with them in the days past. And we commit the days ahead into your hands, Lord Father. Father God, we pray for those who are celebrating their birthdays, Lord Father. And we pray, Lord, that you will guide and you will lead. You will keep the next 365 days as special days for them, Lord Father. You shall guide them, you shall lead them, you shall bless them, and you shall make them a blessing to others, Lord Father. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you will help them to find favor with yourself and with man. We commit them into your hands. We thank you, Lord. Father, for those who are celebrating wedding anniversaries, Lord Father, we thank you, Father God, for bringing husband and wife together, Lord. We thank you, Father, that in your plan, you have brought the two people together, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord Father. We thank you, Father, for the love that exists between husbands and wives, Lord Father. And we pray, Lord Father God, that you shall use these families for the furtherance of your kingdom, Lord Father. Yes, Father God, the first thing you created after the earth was the family, Lord. And we know that that is dear to your hearts, Lord Father. And Father God, we pray, Lord, that you shall continue to bless these couples in a very special way, Lord Father. 
Father God, we pray, Lord, that you shall bring them closer to each other, Lord Father. You shall bless them as individuals. You shall bless them as a family, Lord Father. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you shall meet them at their points of need. You shall continue to provide for them, Lord Father. You shall continue to preserve and protect them, Lord Father. Be with them even as they minister to others, Lord Father. And I pray, Lord, that you shall use them in a mighty way in days to come. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters. There was an old preacher who was dying. So he sent a message for a doctor and a lawyer, both church members, to come to his house. When they arrived, they were ushered up into his bedroom. And as they entered the room, the preacher held out his hands and motioned to them to sit, one on either side of him. The preacher grasped their hands, sighed contentedly, smiled and stared at the ceiling. For a while, no one said anything. Both the doctor and the lawyer were touched and flattered that the preacher would ask them to be with him during his final moments. They were also puzzled. Why had the preacher called the two of them? After all, they weren't the most active members in the church. In fact, they had often given excuses and stayed away from church activities. So why them? Finally, the lawyer asked the preacher, Preacher, why did you ask us to come? The old preacher mustered up whatever strength he could and said weakly, You know that I am about to die. My Jesus died between two thieves. And that's how I want to go. Right, I've got your attention now. Well, now I have a, I have a confession to make. I see that some of you have perked up suddenly. Now, what is this confession that this guy is going to make? No, I am not that doctor in that story. Okay. Neither have I committed some grave, uh, juicy sin that I need to confess in front of you. But I do have a confession to make, and that is simply this. I am confused. I am confused. I really am confused. And the more I interact with believers in this church and outside, the more I get confused. Okay, isn't that tickling you? So let me ask you a couple of questions. How many of you can read sentences written in English? Hmm, not many. All right. How many of you can understand sentences written in English? Again, maybe 50%. Oh, let me put in other words. Okay. How many of you do not understand, understand sentences that you read? Oh, no one. That's good. So finally, now please answer me this question. 
Can somebody please answer me this question? Why is it that so many of us cannot understand simple sentences in the Bible? Let me give you some examples. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 50, verse 15. Psalm chapter 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Who hasn't understood that? It's quite clear, isn't it? It is. Psalm 55, verse 22. Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Was that difficult? That's not Shakespearean language. That's simple English. Matthew 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is that clear? Okay, not difficult. Is there anybody having a problem in those three verses? I can take time to elaborate on it. The only thing, we may have to sit here a long time. Now, this is what I'm confused about. Why is it that so many of us appear to be worried and anxious so often? You talk to different people, and the impression you are left with is, here is a worried person. Here is a person who is anxious all the time. And therefore, I title today's message as, The Grip of Worry. The Grip of Worry. You see, ever since the Lord laid it on my heart to meditate on this issue of worry, I have chosen to analyze person-to-person conversations in terms of the number of worry statements they make. Now, I don't know how you were in your classes in college. Okay. I've attended a lot of my classes. Okay. I'm never, never 100%, but a lot of my classes. But I used to attend for specific reasons. And that was not to listen to anything that the lecturer was saying. Because that I would get from the textbook. That's okay. I knew that every lecturer had specific phrases. You know, like we have a lecturer who will start every sentence with understand. Okay, or he would say, do you know? So, what was my task? Not just me, but a hundred of my classmates. We would sit there and count the number of understands. You see? Or count the number of do you know? Or count the number of consequently. You know, these kinds of words. So when you, when you actually converse with people, or you, when you listen to two people conversing, it's not at all difficult to count the number of specific statements that they make. And that's what I tried to do over a short period of time. And what I realized was this. There is no conversation which does not include some topic or the other which is of a worrisome nature to the speaker. 
somehow in that conversation, it starts with, of course, praise the Lord. I mean, that is, you know, it's almost classical now. With, with, with thinking or without thinking, it's praise the Lord. Okay? Subsequently, you'll find that there is one or two or three worry statements. Interesting, isn't it? Now, in fact, a scientific study was done some time back on anxiety, worry, and stress. The study focused on verbalized worry statements and classified them into different groups. The study found that 40% of stated worries or anxieties were of things that were unlikely to ever happen or of things in the future over which you had no control. 40%. For example, I'm worried about the meteor which may hit the earth in the next 50 years. What are you going to do about it? Can you stop that meteor? What are you worried about it for? It's something in the future over which you have absolutely no control. That meteor is following a path that has been ordained by our creator. You're not going to stop that. So why worry about it? But that's, those are the kinds of statements. 25% of stated worries were of things that you did in the past that couldn't be changed now. For example, my, my, my daughter doesn't study too well. I don't know if this is because of the type of proteins or vitamins or minerals that I gave to her as a child. What's the point? You finished that 20 years back. You finished giving her the proteins, the vitamins and the minerals. Why worry about that now and say that something happening now is probably because of something you did then? Is there any connection? Could you do anything about it? Why worry about it? But those were worry statements. And sometimes we do say this one. I don't know whether my present situation is because of something I did as a child. Can I go back and change it, please? We'll have to call NASA to kind of uh, reverse the earth, probably, and uh, return us to our childhood. 12% of stated worries were based on criticisms of others, mostly untrue. Like somebody said, my choice of ties is unlikely to get me a promotion at work. Why am I worried about the opinions of others? Why do you run your life based on the opinions of others? So you get worried. That person is not very happy with what I wear. That person is not very happy with what I talk. That person is not very happy with what I eat. That person is not very happy looking at my face. That's fine. That's, that person is not happy. Why does that worry you? That person doesn't like my tie. That's, he's free not to look at my tie. Okay, they shouldn't worry me. But that's 12%. 10% of stated worries were about health issues, which anyway tend to get worse the more you worry about them. So you can hear people saying, I'm really worried about my weight. Meanwhile, he's eating French fries. Eight percent of stated worries were about financial issues. I'm, I'm really worried. I had a plan five years after coming to Oman. I need to get a BMW car. 
I'm not able to pay fees for my child. Okay, I'm really worried that I haven't yet got the BMW car. Financial worries. 8% of people's conversations is based on that. So you'll find that that takes up almost 95%. So the final 5% of stated worries is about real problems that must be faced in the course of time. 95% of worry statements are actually meaningless statements. They are what, what I call fillers. They fill the conversation. They neither help you nor help the other person you're talking to. It's only 5% of stated worries that actually have any weight of meaning. And you see, what is really unbelievable is that born-again believers like you and me, who know some of the verses which we just stated some time back, cast your burdens upon me, for example. Born-again believers who know what Christ has done, who know the promises of the word of God. Yet, people like you and me are still part of this worry culture. Am I right? And this is what I call amazing idiocy. It's amazing that on one side, you're a born-again believer. On the other side, you are worrying. Okay? Amazing idiocy. So let's try to look at this issue of worry some more. Now what is worry? Webster's Dictionary defines it as a troubled or distressed feeling of what might happen. Nazi camp survivor and author Cory Ten Boom likens worry to a person carrying a bag of cotton, thinking it is a bag of lead and bending under its imagined weight. That's what Corrie Ten Boom says. The preacher and evangelist Charles Swindle says that worry pulls tomorrow's clouds over today's sunshine. And the famous cartoonist Walt Kelly once said, Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. Now what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that worry cannot determine your future. In fact, it is disobedient to worry. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And let's read a passage. Matthew, sorry, Matthew 6. And let's read 25 to 34. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Wherefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. From this passage of scripture that Jesus spoke, let us gather some principles that we can apply in our life. Principle number one, worry does not make sense. Verse 25 and 26. Worry does not make sense. If you read 25 and 26, it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what will you put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Okay. Worry does not make sense. Jesus is not telling us not to plan. That's not what Jesus is saying. He is telling us not to worry. Don't assume that because it says, don't think of it tomorrow, does not mean do not plan. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, do not worry. Everything Jesus did was with a plan. For three and a half years, Jesus ministered on this earth. But his plan was very clear. Everything he did was directed to his reaching the cross on Calvary. So Jesus had a plan. But he was not worried about going up to Calvary. So planning is good and is needed. So please do not assume that we are saying, do not plan. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, says in the Bible, do not worry. God has provided a way for each one of us. God has given us everything that we need. God says, I have even given everything that the birds need. So, aren't you of more value? Didn't God, when he created you, didn't he say, let's make man in our own image? And when he created you, he stopped. He didn't say, okay, now I'm going to make something else better than this. He created the earth, he created the animals, he created the plants, he created the birds, he created the fish, and then he created man. Man in his own image. So you are the height. You and I are the height of his creation. And God says, even to those lesser creatures, the birds of the air, I have provided everything. So wouldn't I be bothered about you? Wouldn't it be in me to take care of you? So how does it make sense for you to worry 
about where is my food going to come from, where is my drink going to come from, where is my clothing going to come from. God is saying, I who have done everything that's necessary for that little bird which flies up there, I who have done everything for every little animal, wouldn't I do something better for you? Wouldn't I do more for you? Why are you worried? So principle number one, simply if worry does not make sense. If you understand the God you come from, if you understand the God you worship, if you understand the God you trust, it simply does not make sense to think that God, who created you in His image, will give something better to the birds of the air. If He's given them everything that they need, that they don't have to go and look for anything, it's there. How much more has He provided food, drink and clothing for you and for me? God even provided a way for our lives to be saved and not to be condemned to eternal damnation. Does it say anywhere in the Bible that you need to go and preach to the birds and the animals, the cow and the donkey and you know, they need to be saved? It doesn't. It's about you and me. God made a way that you and I could be saved. He gave His Son to die on that cross so that you and I could be with the Father in heaven for eternity. What is food or drink or clothing compared to the life that He has given us? He has given us means by which our very life is saved. Wouldn't He provide your food? Wouldn't He provide your drink? Wouldn't He provide your everything? Number two. Worry is ineffective. Verse 27. Worry is ineffective. The verse reads, Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? In the New Living Translation, the verse is written like this. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. Those are the words in the New Living Translation. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. There is no evidence, either biblically or scientifically, that worrying has the ability to increase your height by even one millimeter. There is no evidence, biblically or scientifically, that worrying can extend your life by a few hours. In fact, it's the other way around. So, worrying is ineffective. You want to worry to get something, it's ineffective, it doesn't work. Worrying has never succeeded in doing anything other than being a conversation point. Daily we face new challenges, concerns, problems and choices. Should we worry or should we pray? That's the question. Should we worry or should we pray? Expressing your worries in great detail to your neighbor does not solve your problems. In fact, it may only bring 
some amount of entertainment to your neighbor. The route to your solution is simply by prayer to the Father, not by conversation with your neighbor. Why do we think that worrying is more effective than praying? The late preacher, Reverend Leonard Ravenhill, has this to say, and I quote, We have many organizers, few agonizers. We have many players and payers, but few prayers. We have many singers, but few clingers. We have lot of fencers, few wrestlers. We have many fears, few tears, much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. That's what that late preacher wrote many, many years back. So worry is ineffective. If worry is a standard part of your conversation, realize that it does not bring you a solution at all. It never has, it never will. Number three, worry is illogical. Verses 28 to 30. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, or, or you of little faith? Now Jesus made these statements about 2,000 years back. And I am forced to wonder if the people of that day were also like us, running from Lulu to Carrefour, to Splash, to R&B, and then to Red Tag, or to some other shop. Now, these are the shops that I see. Okay. Like us, were they looking for that 20 to 50% discount in these shops? Like us, did they too keep buying shirts and jeans, and tops and skirts, and churidars and footwear, or whatever else? Do yourself a favor today. When you get home, open your bureau, or your suitcase, or your chest of drawers, or wherever you store your clothes, and pull out all that you haven't used in the last six months. Pull them out. Please feel free to wash them, iron them, and donate them to the nearly new center. They will be very happy to receive them. And believe me, if this church was going to do that, nearly new center will have to be tripled in size. Okay, we would be having that. Sometimes, I even think that King Solomon did not have as much as what you and I have today. And yet, we are worried. What shall I wear today? What shall I wear today? God has provided for all of his creations. Be it flowers in the field, be it the birds in the air, be it you and me. 
God has provided. He's done it in the past. He's doing it right now. He will continue to do it. So, it's illogical to worry. Principle number four. Worry demonstrates faithlessness. Worry demonstrates faithlessness. Verses 31 and 32. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Or in some versions it says, the pagans seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Jesus is telling us in clear language that our heavenly Father knows all our needs. He will provide. The question is, to whom will he provide? To those who believe and know him. To those who trust in him, he will provide. It is only those who do not know the Lord who need to worry about this thing or that thing. So, that, there is an interpretation which comes there. And that interpretation is simply this. If you are in the habit of worrying over every little thing and you are verbalizing it and you are broadcasting it to every person around, what does it mean? You are simply acting as if you do not have a father who cares for you. There is a father who cares for you. If you accept that, you will not have to worry. But the logical corollary of that statement is, if you are worrying, it means you don't have a father who provides for you. So you decide where you are standing. You want to continue worrying? That's absolutely fine. It simply tells me that you are an orphan. You don't have a father. Okay, so what you are telling by your worrying, your statements of worry is simply that you do not trust that your father can provide for you. We have little children at home. Keep this is exam season. So I can mention about exams. There was an exam on a particular day, Saturday, Sunday morning. 6.30, my son has to go to school. On Friday, on Saturday night, 10.30, he comes up to me and says that, I need to get a new pen. That's a good idea. What is this that made you ask me now at 10.30 at the night? So he said, won't the shop be open? I said, yeah, yeah, your father's kept it open. You see, he takes it for granted that he can come to me at any point of time. And I will provide. That's his point. He doesn't think about, is the shop going to be open? Does my dad have the money to buy it? He's in the right position to go now. Can we do it or not? No, no, that's not his thought. He needs it, he asks. Is it the right time? That's not his problem. That's my problem. You want something, ask your father. Is it the right time? Don't worry about it. That's his problem. Why are you worried about it? He said ask. You ask. Isn't that simple? Don't worry about anything. Just ask him. That's faith. Worry is faithlessness. Demonstrates faithlessness. So now we come to a slightly different issue. Maybe you are saying right now, 
Okay. I have these worries that you're asking me not to be worried about. But how do I deal with that situation? You see, the way you deal with that situation is like what is there in uh, Psalm 23. Verse 4. David wrote, and this is what it is written. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And it goes on. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. And he goes on. Now the issue is, David clearly said, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But very often, we don't walk through that valley of shadow of death at all. We have taken residence there. We have built our houses in the valley of shadow of death. David never said stay there. David said walk through. Okay, that's the point. Now, many of you may be saying right now, okay, I will not stay in this valley of worries, but I still have to pass through it. How do I do that? How do I deal with worry? The answer is in verses 34, 33 and 34 of Matthew 6. Number one, set your priorities. Verse 33. The Bible tells us to seek first, seek first. Okay, it's clearly written there. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This has to be our number one priority. If we can do that, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we can do that, all else shall be added unto us. This includes food, drink, clothing, and every other thing that you desire. In other words, prioritize the spiritual above the physical or material. Seek to live as God wants you to live. Put God's agenda first. And if we go to the start of this passage, verse 25, we read that verse 25 starts with the word, therefore. Some versions will say, so. Other versions will say, for this reason. What does this mean? This means, that this passage is linked to the previous passage. Now, the previous passage is just verse 24. So, let's take verse 24 also. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Very simply, it means do not have a divided heart. Seek God with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your strength. It's all. No, 90% I'll seek God, 10% I've got to work out other things. No. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And all the other things will be added on to you. So that is, that is an automatic corollary that follows, according to God. 
Seek first and all will be added unto you. Okay, so it's very simple. We just need to set our priorities right. Priority number two, or, or solution number two. Practice strategic planning. Okay, verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What does that tell us straight away? Do not drag your tomorrows or your yesterdays into today. In the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, the prophet Jeremiah had written this. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. They are new every morning. God gives us grace to live life day by day. Don't bring your yesterdays into today. And don't drag your tomorrows into today. Don't destroy your today by brooding over your yesterday or worrying of your tomorrow. Live life joyously, abundantly today. Let me re-emphasize something I said right at the beginning. and I'm, I am not saying do not plan for tomorrow. I am only saying do not worry about tomorrow. Please note that there is a difference in these two statements. Corey Ten Boom has said this, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. Worry empties today of its strength. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says these words, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Believe me, the solution to every worry in, is in your hand. It is called the Bible. This is the solution. To every worry that you may be having. And let me leave you with just these two take-home statements. Messages of seven words each. In case you haven't heard what was said over the last 45 minutes. Number one. Number one. Seven words. Number one. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Number two. Go to the throne, not the phone. Shall we pray? And as a prayer, I'd like to take a hymn. It's called, No, Never Alone, No, Never Alone. No, never alone.
discerning the Lord's body. Dear children of God, it is not here another month or another communion service we come to as a routine. There are many things we learn from this scripture. It is not as a tradition or it is not as a ritual or it is not as a practice but it is a sacrament of God and it is the ordinance of the New Testament church. In verse 23 what we read, what we learn, it is an act of submission. Here the word says, do this. It is a commandment of course. When we do so, we tell the Lord or we show that we obey Him. So, obedience is the primary in our relationship with our God, with our Heavenly Father. Obedience always brings about promises. So, when you are coming to communion together, say that or believe that you are obedient to God's word. Secondly, it's an act of celebration. In 24 and 25, in this verse, when it said about the Passover, immediately before Jesus Christ, what was remembered? They remembered about the deliverance of Egyptians, uh, uh, deliverance of Israelites from the Egyptians. But after Jesus Christ, when he gave us a new covenant, now we remember his death and deliverance from eternal captivity to the eternal life. So we believe, when we come together, we believe that we are delivered from the eternal captivity to eternal life. Thirdly, in verse 26, it is an act of proclamation. So we have to proclaim that Jesus Christ has died and is rose again and is going to come. In 26, that is the act of anticipation. That's what I said. When we come, we show the anticipation. That is of his return. When you are coming to the table, you say that as a confession that Yes, I proclaim and also I anticipate the coming of the Lord. That's what our bill is. So, dear children of God, this table is prepared for those who accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life and obeyed into the waters of baptism. If you do not do or obey Him and please refrain from taking part. Because the word of God, as I said, it is very clear. We could not, we should not take it in an unworthy manner. If you do so, you bring judgment on yourself. Let us close our eyes and thank the Lord for the table. And pray for yourself. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise and we thank you for this time like this. Father, this table is prepared. For us, it is by you. By doing this, we are all coming together as one body, as your children. And we drink and eat together 
and lord we believe that you came to this world set us free by going through suffering death and you are buried rose again and you are going to come thank you for the privilege that you given to us it is you who set each and every one of us free from the eternal lord the death from the death to the lord you delivered us and you gave us the life today we live it is because of you once again lord we pray for the bread and the wine which kept on the table bless it and sanctify it as we are going to take part help us to have a new life in our life in jesus precious name we pray please come in the order cooperate with ashes
in the soul, cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside, lay aside the garments that are stained with sin. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul and clean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul? Cleansing blood of the Lamb, are your garments spotless or the white as Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb?
Shall we rise on our feet, please? Our brother Leslie closed with Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says in Philippians 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. He closed with that. I want to add a little more to it. In verse 7 it says, When you do these things, and when you give your supplication to the Lord in prayer, God rewards you something with return. Look at verse 7. And when you do that, the word of God says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Amen? All understanding. What he will do? He will guard your heart and your mind. Where? In Christ Jesus. Let us give glory to God for this. Lord, we want to thank you. We want to thank you. When we do this thing, your word says that you will guard our heart and our mind. Not in the world, but in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, we pray today, Lord. And we surrender these verses into your hands. May it become alive in our hearts, Master. May, may it bear fruit in our lives, Lord God. And Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that your peace that was spoken today, Lord God, that we should not be worried about anything, is going to guard us. Father, it's going to surpass all our understanding about the natural. And Father, you're going to bring forth the supernatural to take place in our life, Lord God. And for that, we give you glory. For that we give you honor. For that we give you praise, Lord God. For you deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. And you deserve the praise, Master. In Jesus' most precious and exalted name we pray. Amen. Let us share the grace together. May the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. And God's children say, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Arise and shine, arise, shine, for the light is gone. For we say the glory of the Lord is, yeah, the freezing glory of the Lord is gone. It has come, the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Arise and shine, arise, shine, for the light is gone. Go out and rise for shine, rise, shine, for the light is come. The glory, the glory of the Lord is, hallelujah, the glory of the Lord is, hallelujah, the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee.